Well, thank you guys all for being here. Thank you so much for our discussion as well. I, that's so helpful to get everybody's input, and I value everybody here and your input in this. It's so important. I love the community support in this group, and I love what you have, and I'm excited to see that grow and get stronger as we continue to move forward together. Last week, we did kind of a hybrid since it was the holiday, and we were low numbers, and so we just kind of had you know, some questions that we asked and talked about kind of some of the things that we had been talking about in the last few weeks. Just kind of like, basically, how am I applying this information to my life? What does that look like? What have I done with this conversation? Have I just put it away and done nothing? Or am I actually thinking upon it and applying it somewhere in my life? Is it making a difference? So it was a really fun conversation to have that last week. So tonight I want to get back to our conversation on relationship dynamics. And tonight we're going to talk specifically around the relationship dynamic of enabling. And that's a really hard one to deal with. Um, one of my close friends, when she has a special needs child, and at one point her son's therapist came up to her and she said, he would be moving forward if you could stop enabling him. And she's telling me this conversation and she's saying it in tears and goes, but I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know if I can stop. And this was a, this was a child. He was, he was small. And as he's grown, I can see how she's working on that part of herself to stop enabling him so that way he can heal and move forward and deal with whatever issues he has. And that's something that's so hard for us because enabling has to do with me. But it's going to impact the relationship in which I'm in. So if I struggle with that enabling part within myself, and remember, my identity is in Christ, so enabling is a part of me, it's not my identity. And if I'm, if I'm struggling with that, that's not going to just show up in one relationship in my life, it's going to show up in many relationships in my life. Because these parts have a tendency to bleed throughout other areas. So I might show, see it in small ways at work. I might see it with my spouse, my partner, my children, my friends, my parents. Whoever that is that I'm in relationship with, I may see that. And one of the hard things is to create healthy boundaries when we have that part that's enabling. Because we need to understand why that part is there. Every single part that makes up who we are, makes us our whole, is there for a reason. It has a function and it has a purpose. And if it, you don't understand what the function and purpose is, then you're not only missing that part, it will not ever heal, grow, or get better. It's going to stay the same. Because it's still doing something, whether I want to believe it or not, there's st it's still doing something that I am getting benefited from, even if... I don't want or don't acknowledge that as a benefit. So for example, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, I do not do bad for bad's sake. So let's break that down. I do not do bad for bad's sake, meaning everything I do, I do for a perception of good in my life. If I left here tonight and I went to the store and I stole 10 loaves of bread, that's not a good thing. Yet I'm doing it because there's a perception in my life that I need that bread and it's better for me to steal it than to buy it. 
It doesn't matter what the reason is. It's creating a function in my life. And so the positive, the benefit of that action outweighs the cost. And change comes when we flip that, when the cost is more than the benefit. So stealing on my part is not a good thing. But I'm doing it because it's giving me something. If, I, if I'm conscious or subconscious aware of it or not, it's giving me something. And so I need to become aware of that part and what the function is in order to be able to make that switch. And enabling is a lot like that. Enabling is a lot like that. I have to understand what is the role it has in my life, what's the function it's playing in my life. Because if I don't know that, then I'm never going to be able to make that shift, to make that change. I won't grow from it. I'll stay in it. And it's not going to ever move in a different way. Does that make sense? So really looking at enabling and what does that mean? So I really want to talk tonight, what is enabling? How do we know I'm enabling somebody versus supporting them? Because that's common. A lot of people think that support is enabling and enabling is support and they get them kind of mixed up because they can kind of be like cousins, like close cousins. And so we need to understand them. Then I need to be able to identify in my own life What's the function of this part in my life if this is something that I'm working on or I'm struggling with? So enabling is not a feeling, and some people think it is. Some people, it's a feeling like sadness or joy or love or anger. It's not a feeling. It's actually a behavior. I'm doing something. So there's a conscious thought that's connected to that behavior. And in fact, if I had a triangle... And you can see with my fingers my, my makeshift triangle here. And over here is my thoughts, and over here is my behaviors, and under here is my feelings. You can see by the triangle that they're all connected because each of those takes up one side of the triangle. Now, if I look at that, most people would say I have a lot of control over which part, my feelings, behaviors, or thoughts. Your thoughts and your behaviors. I have the most control over my behaviors. Then I have more over my thoughts, and I have the least amount of control over my feelings. And the reason why is because my feelings come and go. It's like a wave. They come in, they go out. They come in, they go out. And sometimes the goal of my feelings is learning how to ride that wave because I know the wave never stays in. It always goes back out. And so I need to trust that my feelings will come in and they will go out. And when, when it comes to my thoughts, I don't have as much control over them as I do my behaviors, but I do have more control over it than I do my feelings, meaning I can learn to recognize them and see whether or not they're telling me the truth. But they all interplay with each other, because guess what out of those three, which one I recognize the first? It's not my behaviors, it's not my thoughts, it's my feelings. Because they're so strong. They're so strong. And so a lot of times people will think that they're feeling enabling when they're not actually having that feeling. They're doing enabling, which means I have the most control over that part because it's a behavior. Now, how do I change that behavior? I do that by recognizing what that behavior does, the thought that's connected to it, and the feeling that's connected to it. 
Now, I'm not going to try to change the feeling. I'm going to work at identifying, is this thought telling me the truth? Or is it lying to me? And how would that change my behavior? And guess what happens when I work on these two parts that I have more and most control over? My feelings change as well. It comes with it. Yes? What's the difference between the feeling I'm enabling somebody or just thinking about it? I tend to be very pragmatic, so I have a hard line. I just say, look, I don't know what the difference is between thinking it and feeling it. I try, I try to move feelings a lot of times. So, I don't see much difference between thought and feelings. So, the question is, what's the difference between the thoughts and the feelings? Well, our thoughts is, is, is literally a thought. If I say I feel like it's really hot in this room, I'm not telling you how I feel. I'm telling you what I'm thinking. That's a thought. I feel like is an indication of a thought. I feel like it's hot in this room. If I said, I feel hot, now I'm identifying how I'm feeling, what's going on for me physically. Because my feelings are going to come through in a physical way. Like my anger is going to come through, and I'm going, I know when I get angry, I just want to ball up my fist, and my jaw gets all tight, and I'm just, I just feel my, my whole body just kind of tighten up. Whereas when I'm sad, I feel like I'm slumped down and I just have tears coming out. And when I'm hurt, I feel like I have this like hole in my gut and my heart and I just can't breathe because it's so tight. And so being able to recognize those feelings with our, with our body and those sensations, which we talked about that way over the summer when we talked about um, resolving childhood trauma, the importance of understanding where this shows up in our body. When we, when we talk about that and I'm, I'm able to pay attention to that, I'm able to identify more of what this feeling is for me. Sometimes I'm not sure what this feeling is. And so I have like several different like charts for people. And I actually had a friend who sent me this huge poster. I have no wall space to put it up, but this huge poster with this huge wheel on it. And you can see all the different feelings, but the basic core ones is anger, hurt, sad, fear, guilt, shame, embarrassment, humiliation. Those are the eight core ones that we're looking at that we struggle with. Obviously, we never talk about the ones we don't struggle with. Love, joy, peace, patience. Recognize happiness is not on that list. That's a totally different conversation. Um, but those are the ones we never struggle with, so we never deal with. And I may have missed one of the positive ones. Rejection is going to go into anger. And it's also going to flow into hurt. Yeah. Feelings is like coming from the heart because it's just, I mean, you know, like that's where love comes from. And if you're angry, it's, you know, it just seems to be inside your heart. Well, and, and I, that's, that's great that you identify that anger or comes from your heart. A lot of things come from our heart, but we're going to experience them in different places of our body. And so being able to pay attention to what that looks like, right, and, and what am I feeling and what's going on for me physically right now is really important if I'm going to be able to, to move forward. So it's identifying that piece. So we're talking about, before we get into enabling, we're talking about the importance of identifying those feelings, how and where I feel it in my body. 
we're identifying those thoughts we have, right, and what that looks like. And then we identify, and we talked about this before too, identifying what thoughts are telling us the truth, which ones are lying to us. And that all leads into helping us change that behavior, which I have the most control over. When people come in and they say, I can't help it, I just keep doing fill in the blank. I know that they're not aware of the thoughts and the feelings connected to whatever's in that blank. So instead of focusing on that behavior, I'm going to start looking at these other pieces so then we can have an understanding of the function, right, of that behavior, how we can identify that and start creating small changes. Enabling is a behavior. It's not a feeling. Doing things for another person that they normally would or could do for themselves if they weren't fill in the blank. If they weren't, if they could do this or they would do this if they weren't high, if they weren't homeless, if they weren't strung out, if they weren't fill in the blank. There's going to be things that are going to pop in everybody's head of things that are going to be like, if they weren't whatever this is, then, then they would do this on their own. So when, I, when I'm enabling somebody, when I'm choosing that behavior, I'm doing this for them. I'm doing this for them when they could do it for themselves, but because they can't do it for themselves because they're sober or, sorry, they're, they're high or they're, they're drunk or they're whatever, I'm choosing to step in and do it for them. Yeah. Say that again. Yes, sick would definitely be something that would be in that line, especially when it's somebody who has a chronic illness. And so when I, when I, if I have somebody in my life who has a chronic illness and I'm enabling them, I'm coming in and doing things for them that they could or would do for themselves normally if they didn't have that. But because they have that, there's something now inside of me that says I need to step in and do this for them and take that from them and do it for them because they're unable to do it for themselves. And it may or may not be true, right? So I have to be, so there's a lot more that goes into that. Yeah. You said they may or may not be able to do it. What if they just don't want to? If they're just lazy. If they choose to not do it and I'm doing it for them, then definitely I'm enabling them. I'm definitely enabling them because, because they're making that decision that they're not going to do that for them. You guys all know the story of Helen Keller. Yeah. Do you remember how hard it was for her to be able to learn how to do anything for herself? What, what, what got her to that place where she was completely incapacitated and could not even feed herself? What got her to that place? Do you remember in the story? Her parents doing everything for her. her they felt so guilty that she yes. couldn't see, she couldn't speak. So they rushed in and they did every single thing for her when in actuality she was intellectually capable of learning how to do it herself. Absolutely. Her parents felt so guilty that she could not see, she could not hear, she could not speak, that they chose to do it all for her. So who were they doing that for, though? Themselves, because they were dealing with their guilt. In fact, they were not dealing with their guilt. They were putting it on their child 
by doing all that for her. And then she did not learn how to do it for herself until this tutor came in and said, you can do this and I'm going to teach you how. And she stopped doing it for her and she taught her how to do it. See, so many times we take that power away from people to relieve that feeling, that something, that function that's going on inside of me that's driving me to enable and be in that position. It's driving me and I'm not even aware of it. And I think that's the thing, is I'm not aware of it until somebody says, hey, this is what you're doing, which is what that therapist did with my friend. Hey, you're not helping your son, you're enabling him. Stop doing that. And she had to then deal with her stuff of why she was enabling and why she was moving that direction. Why? She loved her kid tremendously. And she felt horrible that he had been given a raw hand in life from the very beginning and wanted to make his life easier. No one's going to fault her for that, right? She just wasn't also giving him tools. And I think that's the thing that we see in the story of Helen Keller is that the tutor gave her tools to be successful in life instead of continuing to be handicapped. It's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. So this happens often with people who also have a lot of mental illness. Let's say that I'm struggling with depression or anxiety and it's pretty chronic. Either I have severe depression or I have a panic disorder and I'm just really, and, I mean, it's debilitating. And in fact, I've had many clients through the years who've had such debilitating panic disorders that they can't drive. So someone would have to drive them to their appointments. That's not enabling, that's support. Because, because they are physically incapable of driving themselves. And they, so they are, and in this town there was no like public transportation system, so it wasn't like they could say, hey, I'm gonna take the bus. Um, so you have to realize those things. And that's where that line is so thin between supporting that person and being able to enable. So my clients who have that panic disorder have the support system to drive them in for these appointments. And we were working through and they were doing good and all of a sudden they were doing better. And they were able to start driving again. Now what would happen if, that, if their support system was still driving them in? Would they still be supporting them? No. They would, they would have crossed over into enabling because the client could do that now. They would and they could do that. They were capable of it. And so it's understanding and recognizing what that looks like and realizing that it doesn't last forever. That, that support that I'm giving you of driving you to your appointment is not going to last forever. Because I want to empower you to be able to move forward and be able to do this in your life. And there are definitely people that can't, right? There are people who are wheelchair bound, they're homebound, there are a lot of health issues. And so supporting them, they're gonna need a lot more support than somebody else. And so it could easily look like they're enabling that person from the outside if we don't know all the details of how bad the situation is and how much support that person needs. So it's really that fine line of balance between understanding how can I support you with what you're going through and how am I enabling you by what you're going through. And that's hard. And that's a hard balance to find between the two. 
So we have to know each person's situation. And the details are going to be very different. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Is it fair to say that most of the time we can't identify that ourselves? Oftentimes someone from the outside needs to poke us and say, hey, I think you're... I think it'd be hard to find it in yourself. It can be. It can be hard to find that line in yourself. Even as Christians, I mean, I was brought up to serve. Like if somebody needs something, I do it. But then if you do it again and again and again, the person gets used to it, lazy in my work, and they just say, they just let you go on through it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, you know, you talked about it being lazy. I call it dependent. When that person is dependent upon me to do things that they can do for themselves, and I want to keep doing that, then I'm going to be enabling them. If my 21-year-old chose not to go into the Navy, he stayed home, and he didn't get a job, it's pretty clear that I would be enabling him, right? That's pretty clear. And probably all you all would come up to me and say, Kim, this is a problem. <laughs> he needs to get a job. The boy needs to do something. But here's the thing, um, and then I'll, let me say this. And So here's the thing. We need that sense of control in our lives to be motivated to move forward. If I'm so dependent upon other people for everything, then it's going to be very hard for me to ever be motivated to move forward in my own life. Yeah? Uh, I, I had a really good example of how to, how to identify that. When, I, when my mom was really older, I took care of her. And, you know, there was this balancing act between her independence and what, what I could do for her. And, you know, at one point we said, well, let's, let's get you in an assisted living and everything else. And she didn't want to do that. She wanted to maintain her independence. And she actually asserted that. But there was that recognition that, you know, there's something she wants to do for herself. There's something that I want to do for her. And it, it's finding that balancing. And, like, when she started to lose her ability to drive, that was a very slow process, and, but it, it sort of culminated one, one, one afternoon. I, she drove to Costco and she couldn't drive back. Mm. And it's like, okay, I'm not enabling her by driving her back. She's realizing that, that, that she's not no longer able to do that for herself. But the thing is, I think it's important to let her realize that. Now, where it becomes pathological, I think, is when someone is willing to do that, wants to take advantage of that, when you're talking about enabling someone who wants to be dependent, who doesn't care to be dependent. So that, but with, with a healthy individual, that's one way to do that. And you know, it would have made me feel better to see her taken care of, but I learned to feel better about the fact that she could take care of herself. Right, exactly. And you know, and we see that a lot with, with, with our older people, is they want to be in their own home. They want to be able to do things on their own. They don't want somebody taking care of them 24-7. It might be easier on the kids, but it's not easier on that person or their quality of life. In fact, once they reach 80 and above, they have, they have the hardest time moving from their home because that's their, that's their familiar, they're comfortable, and they feel good being able to do that stuff for themselves. So we have to be able to adapt to some of those things. So figuring out what that looks like is really important. Enablers love somebody who is out of control and will carry the responsibilities 
and or protect the one being enabled. Enablers love somebody who is out of control and will carry the responsibilities. It feels good to be needed, right? Can we all agree to that? It feels, no. Okay, so not all of us can agree to that. <laughs> so for some of us, it feels good to be needed, and we, and, and we enjoy that, especially if that feeds our identity. If that's something that has been there for a long time, then it's, it's hard to be in a place where nobody needs me. And so it's easy to move in and allow that part of me that's an enabler to grow and to really latch on to people who are out of control and unwilling to take responsibility for themselves. Can I do a little addendum? I'm talking about work. Oh, okay. When you're wanted to the point where you can work 24-7 and you can't hire enough people, you're kind of like, stop. Yes. So that's what I was talking about. Oh, yeah, Not okay. So the personal. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 that's okay. Thank you for the... <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Uh, yes, here and then John. Uh, Guess first. So how do you know where the line is? So, like, where's the, it sounds like it's a fine line. Uh-huh. So how do you know where the line is? And I think that, Manfred, that's what you were asking before about that line, right? And being able to say, like, like if, I, and you had said that as well, like, it's, it's using people around me to be able to help me keep myself in, on, on target, to be able to give me a perspective that maybe I don't have anymore, to be able to step back and see how are they doing? Am I, am I doing too much? Am I taking some of that empowerment away from them, some of that responsibility away from them? Or am I able to come alongside them, right? and help them out. It's one thing to come alongside, it's another thing to come in and do it all. And so each situation, and this is the other hard part, is gonna look different. Each situation is gonna look different. And realizing what does this situation look like for me and, the, and where I'm at and with my person or my people, my loved ones, is gonna be different than it is for somebody else. And I think that's where having a support, a group of people or a few people who can help give you an objective perspective is going to help move you forward. Once you identify that, then it's about establishing healthy boundaries. And what does that healthy boundary look like? Right? So that way you can, they know you care, they know you want to be there for them, you're just not going to do it for them. My sister had a pregnancy in between a few marriages and she was staying with my husband and I and we had, we had our oldest at the time, he was small. And we said, you can stay here, we wanna help you, but we, we refused to do it all for her. And so we put that boundary up there and we were young. We, we did it as gently as we thought we could, but it didn't feel gentle to her and she got mad. And sometimes that happens. Not everybody's going to be able to respect that boundary. Um, and so she found somebody who literally did it all for her and took her in and gave her everything. Um, and, and we couldn't do that, let alone weren't willing to do that. And so in a personal way for me, that's one of those things that came up is like, 
I love you and I want to support you and this is what I can do for you. For some people, they're going to say no and they're going to go find someone who can do it all for them. So yes, and then, and then over here. Well, um, if, I mean, just I think piggyback on what she's asking. I, I was still like, it's like a movie, everything flash forwards, so 10 years, everything's great, you never see the in-betweens. So it took me about four or five years to learn that's a person I live with that is related to me and not my brother. Uh, that what what was what she was she was doing. Mm. Uh, she would never accept any ideas of anything past what she believed was a reality, as destructive, as uh, self self debasing, self devaluing this. And at some point, I there was I tried every single way to tell her. Get out of the rut, and there was no accepting it. Nothing was accepting. It. So, the rest of my siblings constantly enabling her because she has the same. My life is over. I'm this. This is it. I'm all these negative lists. Mm -hmm. She's venting. Never accepted anything really I've ever said. To the point where I had to stop. I had to tell myself to stop and stop it because I was just in a spiral of giving ideas. Let's do this. Do this. Do that. Never. Never took it. Mm. So after three, four years going through it, mm -hmm. going through it all the time, it took me about two months, three months to even stop my own self-thought that if I see her, I'm going to say this. Mm -hmm. If I see her, I'm going to say that. So, and nothing's changed though. Yeah. And people, I found I'm still doing what I recommended against, but they're like, well, this, this, that, but it's, to me it's like somebody's self-debasing and you're agreeing with them. Yeah, and, and that's a hard place to be. Uh, want, she wants somebody to agree with them. Oh, I'm this, I'm that. Because if you disagree with her, you're not being empathetic to her. And that's where we have to really be clear about what is empathy, right? And am I showing empathy? Am I showing support? Or am I crossing this line? And the more clear we are on that, the more we're going to have an idea of how to maneuver through it with what that situation looks like for me and right now. And that can be really hard. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. We can talk about this another time. I don't think I've ever heard you use the word codependent. Oh, I was getting there. <laughs> okay, uh, that's what I said. Yeah, I was, I was, you're, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> Do you find that there's a lot of similarities in being an enabler and being overprotected? Oh, that's a good question. The question was, do you think that there's a lot of similarities between being an enabler and being overprotective? And I think the answer is yes, definitely. Because part of the goal of the enabler is I care about you, I love you, I want to help you through this really hard time, I want to protect you. I, I can't say that I would not be tempted if my child was not in a situation where I needed to step in to some degree and I'd want to keep going, right? You know, the reason I asked you that because I have a son that's 50. Uh -huh. And I know he left home at 19. But I know that he would have never grown if he had stayed living at home with me because I had the tendency to be overprotective. So it was good for him that he left home because yeah. he was able to figure that out on his own. Well, I, I don't think he figured it out or I figured it out until <laughs> recently. Oh, okay. Because I feel he is the person that he is 
because he ventured out and he went through his ups and downs and his, you know, hard times where I wasn't there to bail him out. Yeah. So it was, in a way, it was good that I didn't know this because when I found that he was struggling, I'd say, you know, you can always come home. And he'd say, oh, no, I want to prevail. Mm. And so that, but I'm glad that he did because, you know, he wouldn't be where he is now and he wouldn't be the individual that he is now. Sure, and those, and those hard things in our life, definitely, if we allow them, and it sounds like your son did, they definitely allow us to build character, right? Perseverance, grit, determination, focus, resiliency, all these character traits are so powerful for us to learn. And if somebody comes in and, and overhelps, is enabling me, I'm not going to learn those lessons. I'm not going to. It, they're, they're, they're taking that opportunity away from me. And that's the hard part, especially when we love and care for somebody so deeply, the last thing we want to see is them hurting. Like, I'm sorry, you hurt me, but don't you dare hurt my kids, right? Because you hurt my kids, that's a totally different thing. And that's something so much harder to go through. And when my kids are hurting because of their choices, and they're having to go through that because of their choices, that one of the most hardest things to do is to not step in and relieve them from that pain. Sometimes we need to go through that because that's how God works through us because we have a God who redeems our pain. 100% of the time, he redeems our pain. He never lets it go to waste. So whatever I'm struggling with, whatever I'm going through, if I choose to step in and enable that person, I'm taking away the opportunity they have with God to work in and through their lives and for him to redeem their pain in a mighty way. And I don't know about you, but if somebody had done that and redeemed and kept me from experiencing those, my faith would be different today than what it is. My faith would, would not be where it is today because those were some of the most powerful moments I grew in my relationship with Jesus as a result of that pain in my life. I don't want it. I don't wish it. I hope I never go through it again. Don't misunderstand that. But God redeemed it, and I have a relationship with him as I do today because of that. And that's something that we can be grateful for. Yes, because there's nobody else there. And so when I'm enabling, if I choose to move into that place and enable somebody, their dependence is going to be on me. I'm not pointing them to God. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that the thing that is, is it, this is complicated. It takes practice to get good at this. I think that has to be acknowledged. I mean, there is like a, I don't really think necessarily there's a formula that can apply because individuals are so unique and that includes me or, or anybody I might interact with. So there's, there's a practice that comes with it, I think. But um, one thing that's helpful to me is looking at who am I doing it for and asking that question. Am I doing it for myself? Who, who gets the most benefit out of it? Me or them? And, and the question has to go down to well, am I uncomfortable because of what the other person is having to deal with? And if that's the and if that is there, I have to deal with that first. Then I can kind of start to see clearly 
mm -hmm. what what I can do for that other person. I, I'm applying back to that situation with my mom. I wanted to fix it. I wanted to help her. But the fact of the matter is, I had to learn how to deal with my own feelings about that relationship. That took time, and I had to listen hard enough to what she needed, and be willing to give her what she needed, not necessarily what I thought she should. Have. Right. And it's it's those kind of things. But you know, I I always come back to the serenity curves. That that's the program. It's like. What's the faith? You know, love God and love your neighbor. That's the, faith. Yeah. the program is, you know, granted the serenity to accept things I cannot change. The things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that wisdom, in my opinion, takes practice. Absolutely. This does take practice. This does take practice. This takes a lot of practice. And I'm not sure that this is one of those things that we're going to get to a place in our life where it's like, oh, I've mastered this. I am so good at making sure I don't cross that line. I don't think that's realistic. I think it's that we work and we practice and we grow in our relationship with the Lord to be able to say, okay, now I recognize that I'm either over the line or I'm beginning to go over the line or the line is there and I can now see it and this is what I need to do as a result. Boundaries are a very helpful tool for us when we recognize the line is there in front of me or I've stepped over the line between support and enabling. Boundaries allow me to release control over the outcome of their choices. Boundaries allow me to release control over the outcome of that person's choices. And you know what that creates, what feeling that creates? Fear. Fear. And when I'm ruled by fear, I'm going to move more towards that than ever. And that's where codependency comes in. Because if I'm not recognizing this, and I'm allowing this to become such a large part of my life, now I'm entering into codependent relationships where, where they're really unhealthy, and it's really about us together being in an unhealthy relationship. It's kind of like a big a capital A where you have one person leaning in and you have another person leaning in and because you're unhealthy and I'm an enabler, then we're leaning on each other. But as soon as one of those people stands up to get healthy, what happens? The other one falls down and the relationship dissolves. See, an unhealthy relationship is still stable as long as both people in the relationship want to be unhealthy. An unhealthy relationship is still stable as long as one person, I'm sorry, as, as long as both people want to be unhealthy. It takes one person saying, no, I want to get healthy. I want to move out of this area of my life that the relationship starts to crumble. Yeah. A friend of mine has a saying, she says, I have to work at discovering or understanding how the difference between helping someone and being a doormat. The difference between helping somebody and being a doormat. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's easy to be that person who gets walked all over. And, and here's the thing. I'm teaching you how to treat me. I'm teaching you how to treat me. My supervisor in grad school used to say, do you know why dogs pee in public? I really want to know. Huh? Mark their spots. Mark their spots? Because they can. <laughs> because they can pee in public. No one taught them not to do it. I'm teaching you how to treat me. If I don't teach you how to treat me, then you're going to treat me however you think I should be treated. 
And that includes enabling. Yes? Yeah, that's a good point. Are you doing, are we, am I moving into this enabling part because of my self-worth and wanting to be liked? Absolutely, that could definitely be a motive behind that for me, right? Because maybe I need that from somewhere and that's where we go back to is where is my identity resting? What does that look like? Am I, am I, is my identity based off of what everybody thinks about me? Is that where my self-worth is coming from? Or am I getting that from Jesus? And then how am I getting that from him if I am doing that, right? Because then what your opinion of is me, I might not like it or I might not feel good, but it's not going to hit my self-worth. It's not going to hit as deep. Yes? Did you say that we, we teach people how to treat us? Uh-huh, I did. We teach people how to treat us. Are we aware of it what we're doing now? Well, no, we're usually not. But I bet you all are going to be aware of it now. <laughs> Before. And I thought, geez, I never thought I, you know, yeah. that out. Well, and this is where the boundaries come into play, right? I don't want to place a boundary with you if I'm fearful that you're not going to like me or that you're going to reject me or that it's going to hurt the relationship or that it's, the relationship's going to fall apart or that whatever that fear is. And so I won't put that boundary up or I won't teach you that what you said to me in that sarcastic tone really hurt and I didn't appreciate it. I'm not going to do that because I'm fearful of then your response, so I'm just not going to move in that direction. So I'm not going to put that boundary up. And, and as a result of not doing that, now I've taught you that it's okay to talk to me in that sarcastic way and it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. She knows that I'm joking or she gets the underlying anger that's there and it's going to be fine. Right? And really, I don't like it and I don't want to be treated that way. So I need to be able to place a boundary to be able to talk through and teach you how to treat me. That's, you know, that, it's, it's a, that's great. The whole thing about boundaries is really, I think, extremely important because, you know, sometimes people think, you know, when you say you have to teach people how to treat you, that can go over the line too. Because mm -hmm. then you're trying to control them so you can be comfortable. That ends up being unhealthy. True, you don't want to control them. Exactly, and, and so enforcing your boundaries, the way I, to me, boundaries are something that I have to respect my own boundaries, which means if someone isn't treating me the way I want to be treated, then I don't go back for more. Right, well, and you know, there's that old, there's that old adage, you know, hurt me once, shame on. Hurt me twice, shame on me. Yep, hurt me once, shame on you. Yeah. Hurt me twice, shame on me. Because I want to be able to know who my people are that are going to treat me well. And that happens in a relationship. And enabling is one of those things that will throw off the relationship from what it can and needs to be into a whole different dynamic. And that can be really unhealthy. And that's when we're in this kind of like big A column, right? where it takes both of us being unhealthy to maintain the relationship.
It's so much better if we can find people that we can both be healthy in the relationship and be have an interdependence on, right? Where my focus is on God and, and yes, I, I need you in my life and you're an important part of my life, but my life is not dependent on survival because of you. And we can really get into that extreme. Kyle King said, enabling is essentially love turned to fear and help turned to control. I thought that was really powerful. That really stopped me. Yeah, Kyle King, enabling is essentially love turned to fear and help turned to control. So when we're talking about like where is that line, which we were talking about a little bit ago, well... Is my love turning into fear? Is my help turning into control? And if that's the case, where are my boundaries? Or maybe what kind of boundaries do I need to place? Or maybe I need to identify what that fear is. How did that fear creep in? Because let's be honest, it creeps in oh so gently and so good at how it does. But once it takes root, it becomes its own thing. And so we want to be able to pay attention. And really through all of this conversation, what I'm advocating the most for each of us is to be able to pay attention to what's going on inside of me when it comes to these relationships. What's going on with my feelings? Where are my thoughts? What is my behavior doing? Am I aware of it? Do I have any insight and awareness into it? Or am I allowing myself to be so disconnected from me that all this other stuff is happening and I'm now walking away from myself and from these relationships because the more the Lord calls us into that discipleship with him the more he wants to heal these wounds within us and that includes these parts yes I think a big huge key to that is thinking uh, why did God allow this in my life Mm. He allowed that in my life for me to learn this lesson about something. If you lash out at other people, why did somebody do that? And you don't ever consider what the God allowed you, what he wants you to learn. You never get the point of learning what, what, is, what you're doing is wrong, what God wants you to improve on. The man is said wrong. It's just yeah. what God wants you to improve on if you always say, why did God let that happen to me? It's yeah. It's how Puritans always like, God allowed this, God allowed that. God yes. God allowed Yes. So you say, okay, what, what, what am I supposed to learn from this? That's how you, that's how you, that's how you grow and move past all things. If you project it on other people, look what somebody did. Right. And it's not what, what am I supposed to learn from? Right. And it takes care of both, both of the issues. And that's what I've learned recently. Uh, on, good. On the whole boundaries thing, Robert Frost really probably said it best. Good fences make good neighbors. Good fences make good neighbors, Robert Frost. Yeah. And if you think about that, I love that metaphor because a fence allows certain things in and it keeps other things out, right? So when we think about a, a good boundary, one, it's flexible, meaning that it can move when it needs to. Two, it allows the good stuff in. I always think of like my three-season room back in Indiana where all the fresh air came in, but the mosquitoes stayed out. Because <laughs> I hated the mosquitoes, right? Yes, and so a good boundary keeps all that stuff out, but allows all the good stuff in. But it, and it can be flexible and move when it needs to. You have to know where to build that fence. 
it takes time to know where to build that test. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time for sure. Yeah. So I know, guys, that we're, we're going over a little bit, um, so I appreciate that. There's a couple verses I wanted you to look up tonight. Hebrews 13, 16, and Corinthians 9, 7. Hebrews 13, 16, and Corinthians 9, 7. These were two verses that I really settled on when I was preparing and praying over tonight. Um, Could you say them again? Hebrews 13? 16 and 1 Corinthians 9, 7. So I hope that, that you will, will be able to glean something as we're not going to go into those tonight. Um, let me close in prayer, and like I said before, if anybody has questions or anything, please feel free to come chat with me, as I'd love to chat with you. Most Holy Lord, thank you so much for this time that we've had this evening, just this great conversation on relationship dynamics and what it looks like to be in a, a place, that part of us that, that moves into enabling and moves out of support, what it looks like to be able to move into support. And Father, I pray that for each one of us, you will not only help us recognize these areas, but you will give us an insight and awareness into who we are, our feelings, our thoughts, our behaviors, and how those interplay in our relationships. And Jesus, the areas that you're calling for us to have healing and hope in our own lives as you continue to do your good work in each one of us. In your most holy name, amen.